When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 286, and we are recording on June 15th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Hello. That's all I have. How's it going? <laughs> How's it's Petunia? So <laughs> what is oh, that? Yeah. How's Petunia? Oh, he's good. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, so we are like halfway through his intermediate obedience classes. Mm. Um, and he does so well at class and then forgets everything as soon as we go home. Oh, no. So, well, that forgets it, but it's like much less obedient <laughs> when he's not in obedience school. Um, so that's a fun adventure. That's fun. Especially we'll since he's like the size of a pony now. He is quite a large. He is a large animal. <laughs> I've never had a dog this big. Well, no, that's not true. My mother is a my mother is a rescuer of Anatolian shepherds. I don't know if people are oh familiar with this breed. Yes, they're it's a essentially a Turkish livestock guardian dog. They're huge. So her first one she got when I was a junior in high school, his name was Bo. He was giant, um, like over 100 pounds easily. He actually, yeah, just huge. But I, you know, I, I was barely home. It was high school. I was only there for a year. So I didn't have, and he was very lazy. Petunia is a puppy. He's not lazy. He follows <laughs> me everywhere. Like, he is also over 100 pounds by now. It's just, it's, it's, it's an adventure. It's an adventure. It's an adventure. Well, I always love a Petunia update. <laughs> All right, oh. let's talk. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, if, if anybody is new to this show, Petunia is my my Rottweiler pandemic puppy. Right. That's all. We should specify. Right. Like, <laughs> what is a Petunia? Petunia. <laughs> it's a dog. It's my entire personality now. <laughs> all right, let's talk about books. So this is a personalized reading recommendation show, as we said at the top, which means you can send in your requests for what you should read next. Maybe you need recommendations for a friend or a relative or a book club or whatever. Uh, you can send those in in two different ways. One is that you can email us, getbooked at bookriot.com. Or you can drop your question in the bottom of the form that's on the site for the show notes. And if you have a time-sensitive question, you're hoping to hear back by a specific date, put time-sensitive, all caps, in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form, and then the date that we're ho you're hoping to hear back by. We will do our best. If we don't think we're going to get back to it on air and we still want to send a response, we might do that via email. So you can keep an eye out for those. We have lots of feedback today from listeners and also from me. Thank you to everyone <laughs> who clarified cicadas for me. The TLDR is that there are indeed two kinds, Brood mm. X and then the, all the other ones. So the more you know, thank you. <laughs> All right, let's see. Laura says, for the person who wanted books about loving alternate 
histories of people's personal choices. I recommend The Book of Two Ways by Jodi Pico. It's about a woman who is married and has family, but realizes she misses her previous life of working in Egypt. I don't want to get much more spoilery than that, but it is so good. Elizabeth says, I want to recommend Commencement by J. Courtney Sullivan for Louisa. It's one of my favorite post-college books ever, and everyone stays friends. Let's see. Linda, for the person who wanted books about alternate lives slash roads not taken, has two suggestions. Maybe in Another Life by Taylor Jenkins Reid, in which a woman has just bumped into an ex-boyfriend and is faced with a choice of whether to hang out with him or leave with her friend. Alternating chapters tell two different stories based on those choices. Other suggestion is Rodham by Curtis Sittenfeld, which is about Hillary Rodham's life had she not buried Bill Clinton hmm. and is excellent. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, let's see. Sophia says, for the person looking for something like Zadie Smith's Intimations, check out John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed. It's a nonfiction essay collection where he rates different aspects of the human experience on a five-star scale. <laughs> He wrote most of the essays during 2020 and offers heartfelt, hopeful, and sometimes funny reflections of what he's learned about himself and humanity during the pandemic. And then, last but not least, feedback from Gina, who says, For chunky feminist fantasy without sexual violence, I'd love to recommend The Queens of Innis Lear by Tessa Grattan, feminist historical fantasy of reimagining King Lear. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, that's it. Okay, great. All right. That, thank you for all of the amazing <laughs> feedback. Good job, everybody. Uh, Amanda's going to read our first question, and then we'll do a sponsor, and then away we will go. All right. Our first question is from Nostalgic Adult, who says, Lately, I've been missing the days of reading as an adolescent when there were so many action-adventure book series that all included great romantic subplots, like Ali Carter's Heist Society and Gallagher Girls, the Divergent series, Hunger Games, The Uglies, and Maze Runner. Now I'm in my 20s, and I feel like all the best book series fall under the YA category, so I'm looking for a book series that has all the action, adventure, and romance of the ones from my youth, but more mature. I don't love fantasy, but I enjoy dystopian, spy, and government stories, and any other realistic adventure story. I read The Memory Police earlier this year, and while I liked it, it wasn't as fast-paced, and I didn't connect to the characters like I wanted to. Any thoughts? Okay, let's hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. 
So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Um, okay, so grown up Hunger Games, TLDR. <laughs> Jen, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. So you said you liked dystopia and spying government stories. And so I am recommending the Cass Russell series by S.L. Huang, which I love, 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 love this trilogy. It's so good. And it has some, I, I don't know if you would like call it. Well, anyway, okay, let me just explain what it's about. So Cass <laughs> Russell is a math genius to the point where she can do things like dodge bullets and, like, calculate exactly the right strike angle to knock out the bad guy. Well, bad, quote-unquote, because she's actually a mercenary. So she does jobs for hire. She does not care super much about morality. Like, she, it's like gray morality. She's not bad, but she's not exactly good. And she also has, like, a lot of things going on in her brain that she is actively trying to repress a lot of time because they mess with her. And she takes this job that turns out to be not at all what it was supposed to be, classic, Mm -hmm. and gets enmeshed in this whole thing that both leads her into these, like, fighting, shady, semi-governmental organizations who are trying to control everything, more or less, in the United States— and digs into she has to dig into her own past and there's like an amazing cast of characters there's so many good relationships in these books and it's just like the action adventure 100% every page and one of my favorite things about this is that Huang has been a stunt person mm-hmm. which is super cool so she like writes an amazing action sequence because she has been in them and she knows how they work it's really really amazing she's also like a math person herself so all of all of the elements are based on uh, things that she is an expert in apparently so I mean who knows if she's an expert on shady government organizations I don't know that don't don't quote me on that one <laughs> But I think this will absolutely scratch that itch. Um, I'm going to give some content warnings because it gets pretty dark. Uh, There's torture. There's a lot of violence. There are mentions of suicide. And there's also disordered drinking. So, but, you know, you've gone to some dark places with your YA. So I think Mm -hmm. you'll probably be fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, again, that is the Cass Russell series by S.L. Huang. The first one is Zero Sum Game. I'm always, like, re-surprised by how dark the Ugly series specifically is. Like, I read the first book in that series when it came out, and I was Mm -hmm. just like, this is horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is gross, and nobody seems to be talking about how dark and psychotic this book is. Do you know, 
I, this is part of my theory about my increasing sensitivity to violence is that mm. I think, at least for me, when I was a kid, none of that stuff was triggering or actually really hit for me because I had experienced so little of it myself mm-hmm. that it all feels fictional. Like, it's not, it's not quote-unquote real, right? right? But then the more I became an adult and the more everyday violence and not-so-everyday violence I experienced in my life, the more sensitive I got to it because I was like, oh, mm. like, I don't... You know what I mean? Yeah. So that is my working theory as to why things that, like, did not bother me as a younger person. Now I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to clutch my pearls. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Personal pearl clutching. Mm-hmm. There's our title. It makes sense. Okay, so I picked A Memory Called Empire by Arcade Martin, which is the first book in the Tex Kalan series, of which there are only two out. I think the third one is scheduled for release. I'm not sure. But the second one just came out, so it might be a few years. I picked this because it is very grown up. It's quite chonky. It's a chonky um, sci-fi series. Um, But it's got the spying, the government stories, the adventure. There is a romantic subplot, though it doesn't pick up a lot of steam until the second book. But it's still very present in the first book and slowly building. Um, And it is dystopian, depending on how you feel about imperialism. So... (laughs) Um, the main character in this book is named Mahit. She's an ambassador in space from a very small little, um, not even a planet, like a, like a space station that has established its own culture and society and has existed for, you know, whatever, a couple hundred years. Um, and they, she is the ambassador to the Texcalanli Empire, which is this just intergalactic, huge, multi-bajillion, you know, like f- rich, fancy empire that is taking over most of occupied space it's based on like a mashup of the ottoman empire and the aztec empire so there are identifiable portions of both like if you have any kind of history background you're going to recognize identifiable portions from both but it makes for like a real weird reading experience um and so in that way that a a lot of outsiders to what seems like a culturally significant and wealthy nation can idolize that nation mahit has been doing that to the Texcalanli Empire since she was a child. So she is very excited about being the ambassador for her people to this place that she has been like obsessed with since she was born. But her real job is to keep them away from her home, like to keep them from from colonizing uh, and taking over her space station, like to keep her people independent. And in order to do that, her society has developed this interesting technology. Uh, It's essentially like a memory train, like the person who held your job before you downloads their brain onto a chip, which is then implanted into your brain. So you have all of their memories um, and their, you know, generational knowledge essentially plugged into you and all of the generational knowledge that they had. So after a couple hundred years, you know, you could have 15 people's brains in your brain, which can be useful, but also a little crazy making. And so Mahit gets this chip installed uh, installed, and then she goes off to the Empire. And then she realizes on her way that her chip has um, been sabotaged. So she doesn't have full access uh, to her predecessor's memories. And then she gets to the Empire and realizes that he was murdered. Um, so she's not replacing somebody who like died of an accident. He was murdered, political intrigue. Maybe he was a spy. Um, the kind of side thing that's happening here is that her state, her station is so far out away from the empire, like on the edges of space, that they have had 
not contact, but sightings of a really hostile alien species that is coming closer and closer to occupied human space. And her predecessor was trying to get this empire to do something about it. Um, and so she has to has to do that too. We'll also solving his murder, and she has a little she has an assistant who she like maybe catches feelings for. And it's you know, almost five hundred pages, but it takes place over the course of like five days. So there's so much action packed into it, um, and it's really fun, and I liked it a lot. So that's a memory called Empire by Arcade Martin. Yeah, I'll kind of sign that. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. I, I have the second one on my stack. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, it's so great. It's nice. essentially like a linguistic puzzle. Like they make first contact with that alien species and then Ooh. have to figure out how to talk to them. Oh, I love it. All yeah. right. Good. 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 <laughs> we'll bump that up. All right. Our next question is from Megs, who says, I'm going on a trip to the Appalachian Mountains at the end of July, and I'm trying to gather some books to bring with me. I'm looking for books that take place either in the Appalachian Mountains or the woods. So far, I'm bringing Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods, but I love some fiction wrecks. I'll read pretty much anything, but I'm not a fan of horror. My favorite books are thrillers, mysteries, found family, and memoir. Bonus points if they make great audio versions that I can listen to on the drive down there. I'm just going to keep talking. So I went to a very specific contributor's recommendations. (laughs) Kendra, Uh who writes for this site, knows from Appalachia, like she's from that region. And she has written several great posts about books that are take place in the region. I'm going to link one in particular for you because it's all audiobooks. So, you know, even more perfect for you. Uh, And the book that I'm picking from that list at this moment is Betty by Tiffany McDaniel, which is about a young woman named Betty, surprise, Mm -hmm. who was born in the mid-50s. Her mother is white. Her father is Cherokee. She's a sixth of eight siblings, um, and they're in rural Ohio. And it's like a very hard-scrabble, violent, poverty-stricken existence set in this, like, beautiful natural landscape, which is where Betty finds refuge and she has to, you know, grapple with both her own upbringing and the violences that have, you know, been happening for generations in her family. So this does go dark places, um, content warnings for rape, abuse and animal cruelty. Uh, and and it just it sounds so good. It's based on the author's mother and family history, which I think is super interesting. And if you go to the author's website, like there's like photos of her mom and like sort of like um, what do you call them? Oh, gosh, there's a specific word for like bits and pieces of things that help make up the context for a book. Oh my gosh, I can't remember that <laughs> word. I'm sure like 14 people will write it into the <laughs> feedback form. I anyway, don't know what it is either. So It's that. It's really yeah. it's really interesting and the book sounds great and has uh, received huge acclaim and Kendra loved it, which is enough for me. So again, that's Betty by Tiffany McDaniel. Apparently the audio is great and I'm leaving a link to the rest of that post in the show notes. I picked Even As We Breathe by Annette Sanuk Klapsaddle, who is a member of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. And this comes with a trigger warning for racism. This is a really singular reading experience. I had never read anything like this. So it takes place in Western North Carolina in the mountains of Appalachia in 1942 in the summer. So the World War II, America's involvement, I should say, in World War II is like in process, right? And the main character's name is County. He's 20 years old. Um, and he is a Native American and he lives, it's not technically an Indian, like it's not technically a reservation, but it is a, a boundary property essentially where 
all of his family and friends and members of his tribe have been like kind of shunted off to in the in the mountains. And he's grown up there with his aunt. His parents are both dead. Or no, not his aunt. His grandmother is raising him and his uncle, who is a piece of work, let me tell you. <laughs> There's a show title for you. Um, and he is like not happy, right? He's 20 years old. He's grown up in essentially poverty um, and he kind of wants out. He's applying for different colleges, trying to figure out how to pay for it. He can't go to war with all his other friends because he's disabled. He has like a club foot. And so he can't, you know, he won't be accepted. So he gets a job working at a very fancy in like kind of in town um that has been taken over by the government and is housing foreign diplomats i'm putting diplomats in quotation marks who are now political prisoners so like the japanese ambassador who was in town or in the country when when japan declared war in the u.s um german prisoners of war who turn out to be like very fancy and high ranking they've all been shipped to this inn which is now a pow camp and uh county's job is like janitorial maintenance whatever um uh, yeah, and it's not just the diplomats who were imprisoned in this, and it's also their family. So, like, the ambassadors who were in town who had their kids with them, the kids are also there. One of the little girls goes missing on this in this inn, and County is, like, through a betrayal of a friend, becomes suspect number one. Through a betrayal of a friend, and also because he's, you know, the only brown person within 30 miles. Um, so, immediately, suspicion falls on him, and he's got to prove his innocence. But that is actually... So, there is a mystery there of, like, what actually happened to this little girl. Um, but that incident doesn't happen until quite late in the book it is mostly about his life in Appalachia and this really I just have never read anything about North Carolina in World War II from the perspective of an indigenous person like nothing like this I don't think exists and then you also have this murder mystery kind of wrapped up into it so it's fascinating it's fascinating and he is such a cinnamon roll of a character you just want to hug him if you have any kind of maternal or paternal instincts you're just when I gonna let it wrap him in bubble wrap and ship him off to somewhere nice you know what i mean so anyway so that's even as we breathe by annette sanuk clap saddle i'm actually reading that right now oh, nusra from the red or dead podcast recommended it to me mm-hmm. specifically when we were i was like i need a mystery i like haven't read one in forever she's like oh this one and yeah. you're right it is an absolutely singular reading experience it's so it, it just I don't, there's no other way to describe it, probably because there's nothing to compare it to. Because it's singular. <laughs> anyway. Okay, our next question is from Heather. She says, I realize I'm coming in a bit late here since Pride is in full swing, but since it deserves recognition year-round, here goes. Anyway, after coming out of a long-term, quote-unquote, normal, cis-hetero relationship, I've been finding my true self. Right before the Panini time struck, I love that I'm stealing that. Right before the Panini time struck the world, I started exploring polyamorous relationships, and within the last year, I openly acknowledged that I am a bisexual woman. My poly partners have been amazing additions to my life and truly helped me hold together in the last turbulent year. Now that the world is reopening, I'm tentatively forging a friendship with one of my metamors, who is the partner of one of my partners, and we both discovered that we're each new to this way of doing relationships and are trying to figure out how to coexist peaceably with each other. She's already given me a great recommendation of a book centering on the poly lifestyle, so I'd love to be able to return their favor as well as find reading material to help further my own journey of self-exploration. Fiction or nonfiction are welcome, but I'm mostly curious to see if there are any novels that feature characters in these types of relationships that are figuring it out. I'm not so much into romance, but if that's an aspect of the story, that's totally fine. Um, thank you for all... Okay. All right, Jen, what you got? 
Well, I you I for, I, I sort of was skimming the question apparently and missed the part where you said you didn't <laughs> want a romance because that's what I have for you. But the reason I picked it is because there are four characters who are drawn into a poly relationship who each have very different feelings about how this is going to work. It's Bound to be a Groom by Megan Mulry. It's the first in a Regency reimagined series, so it's historical Regency era polyamorous romance. It's like, there's not a lot of this. No. <laughs> FYI. And it's, I, I found it extremely enjoyable and interesting. It's set in the early 1800s. Uh, Spain and England are about to go to war. And then there are these four young people who are like, have the sort of good fortune to find themselves in this situation. But again, not all of them are, like, 100% on board. There's, like, very complicated feelings about, like, who gets to be in charge, who gets to, you know, talk to who about what, like, how do they all make their peace with each other. And it is, like, it's a very light touch. And it is it is erotica, FYI. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a lot of sex on the page. <laughs> but uh, but the feelings are very key to that sex, right? So, like, that's, that's how it all ties together. And I think it might be a super interesting read, and especially because of the way that each are presented as, you know, sort of trying to deal with these new this is a new situation for them and they're trying to figure out their feelings and they're in the regency so it's not like they can talk to other people about it mm. so they only have each other to figure it out with uh so again that's bound to be a groom by megan mulry all right i picked next year for sure by zoe lee peterson which is a work of literary fiction that came out in 2017 um it, it takes place in canada and it is about a seemingly very normal and boring couple named Catherine and Chris who've been together for nine years um, living in some part of the western coast of Canada. I don't think it's ever mentioned, but it, it's it got a Seattle vibe. So somewhere around there. Um, and they kind of stumble into polyamory. It's not a thing they ever intended. It's not like a stated desire or need that either of them have. But when the book opens, they're like, hanging out at home one day and then Chris the guy just sort of mentions like I think I have a crush on Emily Emily is a friend of his who he like runs into around town he's found very like effervescent and interesting and then he can't stop thinking about her so he just tells Catherine and Catherine is like well do you want to do something about that in her attempt to be evolved like not actually sure if she wants him to do something about that but wanting to be open-minded and he's like kind of like I might I might want to put my face on her face I don't know and so Catherine and Chris decide that he's going to go on a date um, with Emily, who is the uh, his friend. And things sort of evolve from there. One date turns into several dates. Catherine has to decide if she's actually okay with this or if she's just like cosplaying being okay with it because she wants to be progressive and cool and accepting. Um, she... D- she does get okay with it and then uh, finds like interesting new romantic opportunities of her own. Um, and it's not the thing that I really liked about this book is it's it's very human and down to earth. And like there's discussion of like, you know, uh, calendars and schedules and like, wait, whose mm. house are you out tonight? And like, but I have to work in the morning and like, who's going to pay these bills? Cause you're not here all the time anymore. And like, are you really responsible for half the electric? If you're only here a third of the time, you know, that kind of stuff, like very mundane, just living your life with more than one partner kind of details, you know? Um, And it doesn't, it's not, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Not scandalous. It's not scandalizing it at all. It's almost as if the author doesn't even find it necessarily that interesting. It's like she picked a random couple and was like, let's see what happens to these two, you know, and then just follows them as they kind of figure out where they want to go and what they want to do and if they're going to be friends with the other people that their partners are with or not and how what that looks like and just, you know, people living. Like, that's it. There's just a couple living their life and then they turn into more than a couple, like with more people. I don't know the word for it, but there's more people than just the two of them. So it's fascinating. And I, it is a fairly quick read. It's in that kind of literary fiction style of like really short, sharp sentences, which I love. I love that kind of punch in the gut. Every sentence is a punch. I love that so much. Um, but it also makes for fast reading. So that's Next Year for Sure by Zoe Lee, Pe- Zoe Lee Peterson. I believe you call it a polypod. I could be wrong. But that's Shh. my understanding. Yeah. I was going for like the four people version of Thrupple. <laughs> I mean, is that is there a word for fourpool? That doesn't sound right. That I do not. I, <laughs> that, do not I, know I feel like polypod would be one. better because fourpool just sounds awful. So we'll just go with polypod. <laughs> that's a wacky. That's a wacky one. Uh, all right, let's see. Our next question is from Ray. Pronounce he him who says, also in honor of Pride Month uh, and almost a year of being more open about being non-binary and using he-they pronouns, I would really enjoy something full of LGBT rep, especially trans and or non-binary characters. I don't really have anything specific, preferably fiction and queer characters, also maybe a good happy ending or at least something that won't rip my heart out, tearing it to shreds and leaving me an empty shell of what I was for weeks at the end, you know? We do know. We absolutely do know. Uh, I picked for you Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee, which, you know, I talk about the Machineries of Empire a lot. It's pretty dark, but this is less dark. It has a lighter touch. It's dealing with difficult things, but it also has some really fun, like, heartwarming moments in it. And the main character is non binary. Uh, Gyen Jebi lives in this sort of fantasy slash technology world that is not ours, uh, where there is a colonizing force who has, you know, taken over this city and Gen is part of an ethnic minority and is really struggling to find work. They also are an artist, which like in any situation anywhere makes it harder to find work, as many of us know. And they just like they just want to paint like is that so much to ask? Apparently it is. But they (laughs) actually find themselves recruited by the Ministry of Armor, which is like complicated, right? Like, do you actually want to work for this oppressive government that is, you know, filling your life with both aggressions and microaggressions? Like, but also money, like got to pay the bills. How do you pay rent? And again, takes the job because they don't really feel like they have much of a choice. And the job is to paint these magic sigils, sigils? I never, sigils, let's go with sigils, uh, that actually animate the government's soldiers. Like they use these automatons and they come to life by magic. You paint these sigils on them. And then, like, Yen finds out that there is this dragon automaton that needs to be, you know, updated, quote unquote, but actually has like a life of its own. And then they join forces and have a, like a great big adventure. And it is just like so matter of fact about 
Genjebi's non-binariness. Like, that is not the plot of this book. Like, nothing to do with anything. Like, the plot is, you know, dealing with this oppressive government and a dragon friend. Like, that's the plot. And it's really, it's really a fascinating world and very enjoyable. And yeah, I just, I loved it. Uh, so again, that's Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. Okay, I picked Wet Big Teeth by Rose Jabo, who is a non-binary author local here from Richmond. And that is how I discovered the book. They were on a table uh, of local authors at my uh, local indie. It is so great. So this is YA, very dark, let me say, like very adult, dark YA um, fantasy paranormal. It's Shirley Jackson meets the Adams Family. That's what I've said before when I've recommended the book on the show. It's absolutely true. And there is, I think, one straight character in this book. And I might be making that up. They might be not straight and it's just not mentioned. I don't know, but it's full of queer characters. So it's about a girl named Eleanor who has been estranged from her family for like years. She was kicked out, not kicked out, but like sent to boarding school when she was, I think, eight whatever, like real young. And she is now, you know, a teenager, an older teenager. And something terrible has happened at school and she has fled the law and consequences to go home. She's not telling anybody that she's going home. She's just going home to get away from this thing that she has done, which you learn more about as the book goes. Um, She goes home and remembers very little about her family, except she knows that they are all monsters. And I mean that like quite literally, like her her grandfather and cousins, uh, her two cousins are and her sister, I think, are werewolves. Um, Her mother is this kind of half human, half fish kind of situation who just constantly has to sit in a tub and be like transported from room to room. Um, And so she has a lot of like, are they going to eat me or do they love me? Or is it a weird combination of both? And what do I do kind of situations happening? Um, And then her grandmother does a a reading of tarot cards for her um, and gives her a prophecy that sets her up to take over this family. Even though she hasn't been around for years, she is still herself a child, um, and she does not know how to manage all of these people. But she's being given this task by her grandmother of keeping this family safe, you know, from, like, the villagers, who are metaphorically and literally constantly hunting for these people. Uh, And they've come to, like, an easy truce with the people who live around them, as long as they don't harm any of them or take their livestock. They, like, leave them alone. Um, But Eleanor is, you know, given the responsibility of caring for all of these people and making sure that they stay safe and that the family business continues. Um, And then her maternal grandmother comes to visit from France, and that just messes everything up and sets off this, like, really dark, just, like, dark (laughs) adventure in in her life. Um, I keep saying that it's dark because it is. Like, there's just a lot of heartache, a lot of, um, like, family trauma and differences um there's like harm to children but you were asking me something with a happy ending or that won't rip your heart out and that is the case with this book like all of these characters are going on a journey together and it's you know from the you there are flashbacks to the grandparents childhood up until eleanor's you know present day and so everybody goes on this multi-generational journey that ends in a way that is not going to rip your heart out i pinky promise but you're gonna have to go some places with these people slash werewolves slash sea beasties first. So that's What Big Teeth by Rose Jabo. Oh, and it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan 
again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building, but turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken make sure to check out the dixon rule by l kennedy l kennedy is a new york times and usa today best-selling author with over a million copies of her books sold so this is gonna be another banger y'all make sure to check it out and thanks again to bloom books for sponsoring this episode today's episode is brought to you by greenleaf book group No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. The next question is from Ariel, who says, my father-in-law is having a surgical procedure soon that has an estimated six weeks of recovery time. I'm looking for good sci-fi books to keep him entertained during his recovery. He's a retired computer scientist and has read a ton of classic sci-fi like Asimov, Bradbury, and Heinlein. I'm pretty sure he's read more recent stuff like Ready Player One, and I know he's not into military sci-fi. Any recs would be appreciated. Okay, Jen, what you got? Well, firstly, let's just shout out Murderbot by Martha Wells yeah. real quick. Like, I don't think anybody needs us to explain Murderbot at this point. Uh, although the new novel, Network Effect, did just win a Nebula. So congratulations to that. But my non-Murderbot pick is Machinehood by S.B. Divya, which was such an interesting read, y'all. I picked this mm. one as one of my quarterly favorites over on SFF, yeah, because it is just, it's like, it's sort of, uh, what do I want to say? It's it's like a little bit punky, but also a little bit like classic hard sci-fi, but then it does things that I've not seen anybody else do, so it's it's really well done. It takes place in a near future that will be very recognizable to those of us who are surviving the gig economy, right? Like, except in here, like, there's almost nothing like a salary job anymore. It's all gigs all the time forever, which you can imagine what that does to people. Uh, And surveillance is also basically ubiquitous and not in, like, 
the creepy Aeon Flux kind of way, but in like a really matter of fact way that like these characters just sort of accept. Like it's not a big deal, which is one of the things I had the hardest time wrapping my head around. It's like, what? This is just normal. It's just totally fine. They're like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. totally fine. Uh, and so, so okay, so you're you're taking that as as red. Uh, and the, one of the main characters, Welga, is a bodyguard. She is former military. She's not anymore. And one of her clients, she's guarding this very, like, fancy tech person. Uh, One of her clients is killed in a way that, like, should not have happened. Not just because she hired bodyguards, but it's just, like, out of the realm of how things normally happen in this point uh, in humanity's, uh, you know, situation. Um, And the other thing that's happening to Welga is that, like enhancement pills are super normal like so you can get you know enhanced reflexes or enhanced brain function or whatever by taking these pills that are supposed to be safe spoiler alert they are not she is having some side effects that like are don't make any sense and are not supposed to be happening but she also doesn't she can't like stop doing her job to deal with them because she's living in this gig economy and you've got to keep making your money. So she's trying to ignore this. It's having terrible effects on her body. And then there's this like terrorist group situation called the Machine Hood who seem to be advocating for the liberation of all of the AI robots that exist in this society and claiming that they're sentient, which people are like, but they're not. So Mm. there's this big fight about sentience. And it just becomes this massive, intense page turner of an adventure that like goes into space and different countries. And like, it's so good. It's such a page turner. It's so fascinating. It has a lot in common, I do think, with some of these classic authors in the hard sci-fi-ness of it. Like, there's really interesting stuff about technology and biology and adaptation. um, And the characters are just great. And the action is really good. Like, all of it. I'm a fan. So, again, that is Machine Hood by S.B. Divya. Oh, I will give a quick content warning just generally. uh, for mention of a death of a child due to chronic illness, which does play a role in the plot. All right. I picked Six Wakes by Murr Lafferty, which is a sci-fi murder mystery. I don't know why I said it that way. Murder. It's a murder (laughs) mystery. (laughs) A sci-fi murder mystery that takes place in space um, on a ship. It's essentially like a locked room Agatha Christie kind of murder mystery, but in space. Um, And... I picked this because it's so fast-paced and such a engrossing whodunit that I think it would be really great for somebody who's in recovery and can and like will probably be picking up a book and putting it down. And the chapters are really short. Um, uh, it won't require a lot of um, you know mental labor because the author is taking you through the mystery themselves. So uh, this, as I said, takes place on a spaceship. Uh, it's called the Dormir, and it is taking several hundred humans. It's a generation ship, essentially. It's taking several hundred humans, uh, downloaded consciousnesses uh, through space to a new planet that they're going to colonize because, you know, the old planet is not great. Um, And these the consciousnesses will be downloaded into new bodies once they get there because it's several hundred years uh, and, you know, their normal human bodies won't survive it. The, sh- the crew, the ship is being crewed by six clones who sign up for this because it's they're all criminals or people with like 
not great backgrounds who all want to start over. Um, and so they're given this opportunity to crew this ship. They have to stay awake for the whole thing. They're going to age, die, and then be reborn into a new body several times over the course of the trip. Uh, but when they get there, their paths are wiped out and they get to start their pasts, excuse me, are wiped out and they get to start over. So that's the setup. Um, they're 20 or 30 years into their first trip, into the first leg, and then they all wake up in their cloning vats, like covered in blood, new bodies, all then they've all been murdered. Like they all come out of the vats and find the bo- their, their dead bodies. Um, and so somebody had to like flip this the cloning switch to start the production of their new bodies and they don't have since there was since they were all murdered and they didn't have time to like download their updated memories of the ship the last thing they remember is like the party the night before they launched so they have no idea what's happened in the last 20 years they're the only six people awake on the ship and they they don't know obviously it was one of them right like one of these six people all of whom have criminal backgrounds or are like assassins um has killed each other but also brought them back to life. So, like, what is happening here? And that's the whole shtick of the book. Like, you are with, the, you know, you switch POVs between the six of them. You find out about their past. Um, you f- eventually figure out who done it and, like, why and how they all ended up on this ship and what's going to happen when they get to the place that they are going. So it is fascinating. Like, if Agatha wrote herself some space murder, that's what this would be. That was great. <laughs> so that's Six Wakes by Murr Lafferty. I will co-sign that one as well. It's a fun one. All right. Our next question is from Julie, who says, I'm currently on a boarding school slash college books kick. I'm open to YA adult magic. I just ask that they not be too young, if that makes sense. Here are some books I've enjoyed in the past. Tiny Pretty Things, A Study in Charlotte, uh, Shadow and Bone, Vampire Academy, London Prep Series, Hashtag Series, Covenant Series. All right, let's see. I picked The Tenth Girl by Sarah Faring, which is a boarding school gothic haunted thriller (laughs) set in Patagonia in, you know, way down in Argentina. And the main character, Mavi, is there to be a teacher. She is pretty young. She is there under false pretenses. She is like a political sort of refugee who has fake papers and a fake CV and is coming down here to basically hide from the military regime who has, you know, taken her mother and like her, she's she's wanted, even though she has like I didn't do anything, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So she's going to teach at this boarding school. But she gets there and immediately things are weird. Like nobody, she has to like get there by boat. Nobody's there at the dock to get her. There's like a six million hour climb up this like side of a mountain to get to the school. So she gets there and she's like sweaty and tired. Nobody will let her into the building. She has a very strange interaction with this guy who's like flicking cigarette ash out of her out of a window. Like everything is terrible right from the get-go and then she meets you know the head caretaker or whatever who's very cold and weird and it's like it's got some you know Rebecca Daphne du Maurier sort of vibes about like don't don't cross the caretaker uh and and you know she has to figure out like what on earth is going on and then one of her students disappears and everything gets very complicated 
There is definitely magic. Like, you know that from the jump. There are spirits of very angry indigenous people who were murdered by colonizing forces who are have, like, plans of their own for everything. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on in here. It's very atmospheric and creepy and boarding schooly, and I think you will like it. So, again, that's The Tenth Girl by Sarah Faring. I picked the Wayward Children series by Shannon McGuire. The first one is Every Heart a Doorway. Um, and these are YA. They're not too young. They're quite dark, um, in my opinion. And this is about Eleanor West's home for wayward children. And the main character in the first book, her name is Nancy. And the home for wayward children is not an orphanage, per se. It's a boarding school for kids who have gone through magical doorways or fallen down magical rabbit holes or whatever, found themselves in different worlds and then come home for whatever reason, usually against their own will, and now just like don't know how to function in the real world. Um, and also, nobody believes them, right? The, some of these kids have been gone for a decade or so. They, come, they go missing when they're seven. They come back when they're 17, saying they've been in like Narnia or whatever, and their parents are like, ooh, that's not okay. Like, that's obviously trauma. You know, like, you are making that up. Um, and so Eleanor West provides this home for kids who are saying these things and tells their parents, you know, bring your kids to me and I will help them learn how to function in the real world again. And we'll get their story straight and at least they'll stop embarrassing you or whatever. Um, the the twist here is that Eleanor herself has visited another world and come home. And so she actually does believe these kids and she just wants to give them a place to go where they can be around other people who understand them um, and where they can be themselves and kind of work through um, their feelings of like missing the place where they've been for so long and come to like accept that they're probably never going to go back. And Nancy disappeared into like the land of the dead essentially when she was quite young um, and has spent her time growing up there in like the shadows and darkness. She spends hours and days sometimes in silence so when she comes back into the real world she doesn't really know how to person like she doesn't really know how to talk she doesn't like to other people she can't really carry on a conversation very well she's very awkward easily overwhelmed all of that so she ends up at eleanor west home for wayward children and she starts kind of making her way she makes a few friends and all of that but then people start being brutally murdered which is not a thing you expect from like a boarding school novel except most of them are about brutal murder is now that i'm saying yeah. that so which is weird um and then it becomes this mystery. So it's all of these kids who have spent time in other worlds that are, are themselves quite brutal. Um, and most of them involve like having to fend for yourself or, you know, defend yourself against ice witches or vampires or various monsters and beasts. And so when they come back, they're these like actually quite hardened survivalists who are pretty familiar with violence. So as a new kid is murdered every you know few days, the suspect list starts pretty wide because all of them, to be honest, are pretty capable of it on paper and then gets more and more narrow. And then you're seeing all of this happen through Nancy's eyes. And then every book in the series takes a kid from like the first one, like a new perspective. You get some more backstory. They're all really, really great. So it's, that's Every Heart of Doorway, which is the first book in the Wayward Children series by Shauna McGuire. All right. The next question is from Anyana who says, I recently finished reading The Secret Garden and Little Women, which left me craving for feel-good classics. I picked up Jane Austen, but I can't get through them because of the complicated language. So can you please recommend some easy-to-get-through and feel-good classics? Okay, Jen, what you got? Well, I picked The <laughs> Hobbit. <laughs> I, like, went back and forth on this question so many times because mm. everybody's definition of feel-good and easy-to-read are, are different. 
So eventually I just sort of gave up and was like, let's do The Hobbit by Tolkien because I love The Hobbit. It is... I think the the thing that people don't know about The Hobbit, because Lord of the Rings takes up so much air in the room in pop culture conversations, is that The Hobbit was written as a kid's book. And the language is very straightforward, very accessible. There are not any, like, long, complicated, you know sentences. There's a lot of very fun, silly moments. And unlike, again, Lord of the Rings, there are not these like six chapters of people just like walking and like talking about how they're walking. Like that's not, that's not what happens in The Hobbit. The Hobbit is an adventure from start to finish. And it's like very charming and delightful. It, you know, it's got elves. It's got some scary spiders. Uh, it's got magic. If I couldn't tell from your question, like how, I mean, obviously you like The Secret Garden and Little Women, which are pretty realistic, but like maybe you don't mind magic. I don't know. So I just think The Hobbit is extremely feel good and very accessible and fun to read. Yeah, I do I need to describe the plot of the Hobbit? Yeah. It's about a little dude named Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> he is, you know, he's a hobbit, which means he's very small. And he ends up going on an adventure with a bunch of dwarves and a wizard named Gandalf. And he is not exactly the adventuring type. So a lot of exciting and uncomfortable things happen. And he turns out to be a hero. The end. Uh, so that's The Hobbit by J.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Sorry. This, you know, your summation of The Hobbit versus like the 15 Peter Jackson movies that they made out of The <laughs> Hobbit is so great. Listen to me. I have some real unhappy feelings about those movies. I feel like but that's universal. Like, does I will not get like into them right movies? now. Okay. But yeah, not un- ungood. Ungood. I, I didn't say. like the trailers to the point that I didn't even watch them. Like, and wow. I love The Hobbit. Just, oh, yeah. 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 The book, not the Peter Jackson stuff. Okay. So I picked Anne of Green Gables, obviously, <laughs> by Ellen Montgomery, because you said The Secret Garden and Little Women are classics of children's literature, and so is Anne of Green Gables. Also, I feel like The Secret Garden, I mean, it's in the name, right? Is outdoorsy. And Little Women and Anne of Green Gables all share this kind of um, through line of a lo- a childlike appreciation for nature. Because Anne is so obsessed with, like, naming trees and spending time in pretty meadows and all of this kind of thing. So um, if I don't, again, do we, it's like the Hobbit. Do I need to explain what Anne of Green Gables is? Probably not. She's an orphan in Canada who is adopted by a bachelor and a bachelorette, which is funny words for, like, people in their 70s. Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert, who are a brother and a sister, who need, like, help on their farm. They try to adopt a boy. Instead, they get this girl and are, like shrug i guess we keep it like it's so funny i you know i i've been a foster parent before and so reading the way that they just like shunt these kids onto whoever will take them and then when they don't even get the right kid they're like well she can slop a pig farm right it's fine (laughs) like oh my gosh this is terrifying but it turns out okay so they adopt this girl um in their dotage uh and she turns out to be quite handful she's precocious and loud and very dramatic and emotional she's definitely an enneagram four anyway uh and then she goes like goes on these adventures through this charming little canadian island it's got a lot in common with the secret garden except she's not a jerk like the kid in the secret garden is when the book opens (laughs) she's such a jerk um it is beloved by all and sundry and that's all i'm gonna say about it right we don't really need to talk about anna green gables I will also say that there are sequels that I maybe loved yeah. even more oh, than yeah. the original. Yeah, 
She like you get to see her grow up and like then there's next generations of stuff and it's really I don't know. I love those. I read the hell out of those. The World War One book in that series is like one of the most heartbreaking mm. books. You know, because it's like her kids and some of them go off to war and it's yeah. just like Ugh. Yeah. It does get heavier, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was our Anna Green Gables <laughs> side. But it's happy brand. in the first one. It's happy in the first one. <laughs> it is happy in the first one. It's happy. Um, okay. <laughs> We're going to wrap this up. <laughs> Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for fixing several flubs in this episode and in others. Uh, thank you all for listening. We super appreciate all of you. If you would like more book recommendations, you can check those out at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have sci-fi fantasy, like I mentioned. We've got mystery. We've got all kinds of stuff. If you are so inclined, please do leave a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. It does, we think, help other people to find (laughs) the show. And we do love seeing that feedback. Thanks to our sponsors for making the show possible. And if you would like to find us in between shows, Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. It's mostly dogs in the gym, just to warn you. (laughs) You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And you can find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.